invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. And that's where we're going to be preaching from this evening, and we'll be turning to a few other portions of Scripture. But Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 3. You know, uh, all of us have no doubt favorite verses in the Bible. And um, no doubt some of us, maybe all of us, have favorite chapters in the Bible. And maybe even favorite books in the Bible. I told the pastor recently, he's preaching on Acts Sunday morning, Sunday night, and I said, you know, Acts is in the New Testament, I think, I, I don't think I have to think hard about it, it's probably my favorite book. That's unusual. It, Acts does not have a lot of doctrine in it. It's got, a, it's got a lot of activity and action, and it's got a lot of history. It doesn't so much have so much doctrine. We don't build our doctrine on the epistles or, the, or Acts on... We, uh, excuse me, we don't build our doctrine on the Gospels or on Acts, we build our doctrine on, on epistles. Um, but that's my favorite. Now, in the, New, in the Old Testament, I've got several favorite books. The book of Daniel is, is among them, and, and the first part, especially, is, is the first part of the, is tremendous history. And we see here in, in Daniel chapter 3, and I'm not going to read through it. Usually I like to, and like the pastor does, and Dale usually, um, read a portion and then preach on it, but I don't want to, I'm not going to read the whole, ch we're going to look at the whole chapter, chapter 3, so I don't want to read the whole chapter and then have to come back, so we'll just look at it uh, and see it as we go along. But remember, this talks about Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon, and modern day Babylon, uh, um, today modern, what's known as Babylon, modern day would be Iraq. So keep that in mind. This is the nation of Iraq. And when you think about Persia, and the Bible talks about Persia, it's talking about Iran. So, you know, these uh, uh, countries are prominently in our news uh, to, uh, today, this day and age, but they're certainly prominently found in the, in the Word of God. So this evening, I want us to look at the, the, the famous, the well-known story of the fiery furnace here in uh, Daniel uh, chapter 3. And notice in, in verse 1, you'll see here, and I'm going to give you an outline along the way. You see Nebuchadnezzar's construction of a golden image. And look at verse 1. And Nebuchadnezzar, of course, pretty much is the ruler throughout the, that part of the world uh, at this time, a very powerful individual. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth of six cubits, he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, a cubit is generally considered about uh, a foot and a half. That's ballpark. That's about what it is. So this is an image of gold 90 feet high. That's a big image, isn't it? 90 feet high. And nine feet, nine feet wide. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of conjecture about it. Why did he make this? And, and, and who did he make this in honor of somebody? Well, some people think that perhaps he made it in honor of his father, who was the previous king of Babylon. Maybe, make, maybe made it just in honor of him. The Bible doesn't say, but this is conjecture. Uh, maybe, and, and um, Babylon was a polytheistic country. They had many gods they worshipped. But Bel, B-E-L, was one of the most prominent and one of the most well-known. Some think, well, maybe he made it, in, although the Bible doesn't say that, but they conjecture that. 
But what I believe, my belief is what a lot of people, other people believe, that this image had to do with himself. This was an image that's reflected on himself. Because if you look at the chapter previous, he had a dream, and the dream was an image. And the head of, 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 that, of that, that dream, the head was a head of gold. And we're told that that head represented, that gold represented uh, Nebuchadnezzar. So maybe this and, and those various, that, that dream, and there was gold and there was silver, and there was four different materials, so to speak, spoke of different kingdoms. And, um, but these kingdoms all eventually were going to be destroyed. The head of gold was to be destroyed. But this is some years later. I don't know what, how long later, but some years later, this um, exists. So maybe this was a situation in which Nebuchadnezzar was um, kind of rebelling against God. You know, look, look with me at Daniel chapter 2 and, uh, and look at verses 44 and 45. And of course, he was not a follower, at least at this time. Some people believe that along the way he converted, and that may well be, but certainly not now. Look at verses 44 and 45 of Daniel 2. It says, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Well, we know that. The Lord's going to do that. The kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass there, hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. So he talks about uh, these kingdoms that were represented uh, by gold, silver, and clay, and brass, and iron, and such as that, eventually to be destroyed. And yet, here's Nebuchadnezzar. Some years later, I don't know how many, which the next chapter doesn't mean the next day, doesn't mean the next year. Some years later. He's still, on the, he's still on the throne. He's still ruling. Some think, well, maybe he did this because this was a, a rebellion against God. In other words, this is what God said, but I don't, you know, I, I look, at, look at me. Look where I'm standing. And you know, we can be that way. If the Lord delays his promise, sometimes the best of us can maybe go astray. Case in point, Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, remember how the Lord promised them a child. But what did they do? The Lord delayed that for many, many years. So then Sarah gets the idea, well, you know what? Let's fulfill the Lord's promise another way. Well, you know, you don't do that. But that's what she thought about. And they had the child um, Ishmael by Hagar. Well, Ishmael was not the child of promise. And what a disaster that we're st still living with today. Still living with it. So, you know, there, there's, there can be, if the Lord delays his promise, there can, there can be that, like, um, you know, rebelling against God. So, you know, I know this dream, and it was interpreted and all, but look, look at me. Or maybe he's even forgotten that dream. I mean, it, he's just th thriving on, 
on his rule. Building it for that reason, maybe just to kind of rebel against God, just to fly in the face of what God said. Possibly it was pride, certainly rulers back then and great powers and all men of pride. But certainly I think this is one. Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of, 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 of the then known world. And the, he united the people who had various religions. Right, these people had, I mean, and they were idolatrous. But you know there was, I mean, they, he could have united them under this false image, this golden image. They could have still had their other religions and all, but there was a, a oneness. They were different about Baal and this one and that one. But we won't have to forsake those gods or those images but let's kind of get together and let's be together and let's worship this, this one image. That could have very well been. We don't know. All, uh, we have, don't have any definite answers, but we have a lot of interesting questions. But in verse 2, notice this. Nebuchadnezzar, he demands worship of this golden image, right? In verse 2, notice what he says. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So here we see the king invites the various governmental leaders. Interesting, and nobody knows where he is. Maybe he was sent on a mission, but where's Daniel? Daniel was a great uh, leader at this time. Where is he? We, we don't know, but he's not here by God's grace. And uh, he was a, a powerful individual, but not here. But look at all these individuals that are, that are gathered together. And among these individuals was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they were involved. You see, when Nebuchadnezzar brought in the young men like Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were young men that had, had a lot of ability, and he wanted them to be incorporated into his kingdom and into his empire for, for their good, not for the young men's good, but for their country's good. And, and, and so they're among that group that we just mentioned there in verse 2. But look at verse 3. It says, notice the obedient response to the invitation. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he invites all these people. It wasn't just a couple days. It was no doubt weeks that, that these people would have gathered, come by foot, come by uh, animal or whatever. But it, it was a while. But anyway, they're there. They've gathered together. Now in verse 4 and verses 4 and 5, notice the instructions that are given to those present. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, uh, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. So when the music plays, we want you to fall down, bow down, and worship that image. And whosoever not, falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. 
So you notice the severity of that. I mean, they're not playing games. I mean, this is, this is serious business. It's not like, well, we'd like you to worship this golden image. You will worship this golden image, or you will wish you had worshipped uh, the golden image. And, you, and, and um, we, see that, we see that threat that was given to uh, these, these, the folks that, are, that were present. In verse 7, you see, notice, you see the mass of the people um, obey the king's command, the multitude of the people, almost all of them. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So you notice that. So they're standing there. Not sitting, no doubt standing. Then the music plays and everybody falls down and, and bows before it. Except what? Three men. And they stand out. Not because they wanted to. They didn't do that because they wanted, you know, we want to be odd. We want to be different. But they did that because the others uh, fell down to worship. They were standing and they were doing right. The others were falling down, sinning, and worshiping this golden image. And so it wasn't like they wanted to be odd or different or whatnot. That wasn't their desire. Their desire was to do right. But in doing right, they stood out. You know, that can be the situation. Maybe that's, there's a time in your life you can look back and say, you know what? I can remember when I tried to do right, maybe in your family, Maybe in a neighbor in, in your neighborhood, maybe where you work or whatever. And because I wanted to do right, I stood out. You didn't want to. You didn't stand out uh, because you wanted to stand out. You wanted to do right, and because of that, you maybe stood out. That's all they did. They didn't. They weren't trying to draw attention to themselves. These were were good young men. They stood out. Three of them. Can you imagine? I don't know how many, probably hundreds. They're all bowing. Three of them stood out. Look at verses 8 to 12. In verses 8 to 12, we see these, the three Hebrew young men uh, disobeying the king's command, which I just mentioned. Verse 8. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Now it's, they may very well have been jealous of uh, the three uh, men, the Chaldeans, because they were Jews. Um, that may be. Uh, but anyway, they, they came to the king. And, and, and you see there, they approached the king and they addressed him in verse 9. O king, live forever. And that was kind of a common way of approaching the king. It's flattering and, and such as that. And they're saying, well, king, we'd love for you to live forever. You'd love for you to, to, to rule us. You're a great person. That's all those things are implied. Look at verse 10. In verses 10 and 11, the king was reminded of something. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, all kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Reminding him of that. 
And whosoever falleth not down in worship, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fire fern. So they're taking, they're quoting back to the king his command, his, his words. I mean, they're, they're reminding him of what he said. But notice in verse 12, the Jewish young men are accused. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And you notice there that their emphasis is always is on the king. It says, they've not regarded thee, and they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So in other words, they're really playing up to Nebuchadnezzar's pride, and they're emphasizing the fact that they're, they're disobeying, they're disobeying him and not regarding him. Well, Look at verse 13, and notice, notice the reaction of the king beginning in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage, notice that, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they brought these men before, uh, before the king. He was full of fury and rage. He was beside himself, and that's the idea. And they, these three were summoned and they were brought before, before the king. Notice Nebuchadnezzar questions the three, the three, Nebuchadnezzar questions the three Jewish young, uh, the three Jewish young men, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not you serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Nebuchadnezzar then further threatens the group of young men. He asks them that question. According to our text, he doesn't give them a chance to respond, but he asks a further question, makes a further statement. Now, if you be ready at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, in other words, if the music plays... They fall down and work well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast that same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Notice that last phrase. That's easy to just kind of lump it in there with that verse. But notice that last phrase. In other words, he's saying, I'm greater, I'm stronger and more powerful than any God. Now that's a paraphrase, but that's what he said. He asked that question, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? In other words, I'm, so to speak, omnipotent. I'm all powerful. I mean, it's kind of arrogant, isn't he? He thinks that he can make, do something that there's no God. And he's a, poly, he's a polytheist, meant, believes in many gods. So he's not saying, he's not just doesn't believe in the God of, of the Israel. But he, he makes a statement, he's so arrogant, so brazen that he's above and beyond any God that exists. And we realize there's only one true God, but he believed in many gods, but there's no God more powerful than me. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Well, notice the th- response of the three Jewish young men, verses 16 to 18. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer on this matter. In other words, uh, right? So they were not worried or whatever about answering. They knew what they were going to say. And I love I loved this, this answer. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will, deli- he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. All right? If it be so or if it's God's will. But if not, be it known unto you, to thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. That's a wonderful statement, isn't it? We're going to do it. We're going to stand true no matter what. You know, the Bible tells us we should certainly obey the laws of the land. I mean, I, I don't believe Christians should be rebels, so to speak. But if it comes to where the, Bible, the, the country says something that's in clear violation of the word of God, then we ought to obey God rather than men. There's absolutely no, there's no doubt about that. I was thinking about, there's a, there's a lot of examples of that. I was thinking, I, I used to be <clears throat> back in the, in the 80s, and I've spoken about this before. Our church was not in an official way, but in a support way as far as prayer and all that. We were involved with uh, Georgie Vins's ministry of who uh, he represented the persecuted Christians in the Soviet Union, and he was made international news when when he was set free by President Carter. Uh, he there was a prisoner swap, and Georgie Vins was set free uh, from prisons in the Soviet Union and came to America. And he was a fundamentalist. Georgie Vins was not a compromise. He was a straight shooter, and he was our kind of person. And then he represented the Soviet, the Christians in prison in the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union, if, if the preachers that went to prison there, it was forbidden for the, their families to be helped. Can you imagine that? Not only were the prisoners to be in jail, but it was against the law to help their families. Well, the underground churches and all that, you know, that, that would, that's, the Bible talks about supporting those in need, supporting families like that. Uh, those women weren't literally widows, but they were like widows. Widows indeed, the Bible talks about that. And so they certainly, there was support for them, but that was how godless that bunch over there was at that time, how, how, how ruthless and godless they were. And, and these people supported. So there's, we should obey the laws of the land. We shouldn't be willfully viol- violate them. But if the laws of the land clearly violate the scripture like this one did, we ought to obey God rather than men. Quickly for just a moment, I'm, I'm thinking of, and this is a well-known story. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6. I think of Daniel for just a moment. Daniel chapter 6. And um, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 to 10. It said, now Daniel, of course, and we don't know at this point where he is, but now there's a different ruler, different leader in, in, in uh, Babylon. And Daniel is, has a high position there in the government. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, then this Daniel was pre- preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. 
Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there an error or fault found in him. Notice that. So Daniel obeyed the law, was a, a, a wonderful government official and such as that. But here's something interesting. Then said these men, verse 5, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. They found, you know, we've got to, <laughs> we're not going to have any problem with Daniel or Daniel or have any kind of a situation unless we get involved with his word, the word of God. That's basically what they're saying. In other words, they were going to have to, they realized they're going to have to try to get Daniel to compromise. And that's where they're going to, they're going to catch him going to catch him in a violation. In other words, they thought, believed he wouldn't compromise. And we'll catch him. Watch it. All right, so look at verse 6. Then these presidents and princes, they, they were jealous of him, assembled together the, to the king, and thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask petition of any god or man for 30 days, save or accept of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. See, they knew, they knew that Daniel was a man of prayer. <laughs> and, and they said, we're going to get him. We're, and I think they were convinced that he wouldn't compromise because they didn't want him to compromise. They wanted him not to compromise so that they could get rid of him. And, and, and so this, uh, look at verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persian, which, is, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened into his chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And so people could say, well, you know what? He shouldn't have been praying at his windows, but that's what he always did. You know, he wasn't some arrogant guy and say, you know what? I'm going to show these people up. Not only am I going to still pray, I'm going to let them see me pray. No, that's just the way he did. It's interesting. He prayed towards Jerusalem. You know, there's the Bible in the Old Testament, there was teaching that the people in exile and all that should pray towards Jerusalem. When you were out of the country, you should pray towards Jerusalem. And you know what? Synagogues in America, their ark, and even the synagogues, face Jerusalem. At least the Orthodox, I don't, I, and I'm, I'm assuming all, but the, the very liberal ones may not. Our, our church in New Jersey was formerly a synagogue. And where I preached, where I preached, Behind me was, was the ark. And the ark, it was a paneled wall behind me. And it had a, a, a door that would slide open. And in that door would be the Torah. Of course, when they left, they took the Torah. But we still had the, had the ark. The ark didn't matter. It was just a beautifully paneled wall with a sliding door. And we just had the door, kept the door closed and didn't use it for any, any purpose. But you know what? When I was in Israel... And, and you can check it out on, online. Ark, arks and even synagogues outside of Israel face Jerusalem. 
So every time I preached, and I, and I was our church faced the every time I preached, I was facing Jerusalem. Not that as Christians that has any significance, but that's very interesting. So that's what he's doing. That's all he's doing. It, it says here, his windows being open and his chambers toward Jerusalem. And he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did, as he did aforetime. So you know what? He, and he ended up in a lion's den and the great miracle there. But you know what? He wasn't going to compromise. He would not compromise. And he violated the law. But you know what? The law was clearly contrary to the word of God. And that's the situation. You know what? We just don't go out and wantonly say, I'm a Christian, so I can violate the law. No, we don't do that. But if there's a law comes up that's con clearly contrary to the word of God, we ought to obey God. We ought to obey God rather than men. Let's go back to Daniel chapter, um, Daniel chapter 3. Right? We see here, the Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know what, we're, we're not going to compromise, and uh, that's just the way it is. We're not going to, we're not going to bow, the knee, bow the knee. When verses 19 to 20, notice the response of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, verses 19 and 20. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and form of his visage was changed. All right, so this is the second time we've seen his full of fury and rage. And his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and he commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. He was so angry. He was so upset, so mad that he wanted that heat to be heated seven times more. Than, well, it was so hot. He commanded most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fire furnace. And it was so hot, so hot, that notice what happened there in verse 21. It said, then these men were bound, uh, the, the, the three uh, Hebrew young men, were bound in their coats and their hosen, their hats and other garments. In other words, they, weren't, they, they were just bound, just take care of the rage of the king immediately and were cast into the midst of the burning fire, uh, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandments was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew these men, or those men, that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Notice that. It was so hot, and it was so, the flames were so intense, and the fire was burning to such a degree that the... Um, folks who threw the young men in, they were consumed, whether or not because of the heat or the flames came out uh, and such as that, they, they, were, they were consumed. And the, these mighty men were killed. Well, notice in, notice in, in, in verse uh, 23 to 25, notice that we see here as they look into the fiery furnace, the young men are accompanied by a fourth individual. Look at verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. All right. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. 
He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no heart, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Notice that. You know what? That is, there's no doubt in my mind who that was. And in the Old Testament, there are pre, what we call pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. In other words, Christ appearing in the Old Testament in times before his birth, pre-incarnate, before he was in the flesh, before he was born. And they're called, doctrinally, they're called Christophanies. That's what they're called. A pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, and that's what this is. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind about that. And you know what? Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 43. And you know, folks, we don't expect as believers to see. I'm not in, I'm in the vision, seeing visions of the Lord or anything like that and dreams about the Lord and things like that. But in a spiritual sense, the Bible promises that the Lord Jesus Christ is with us in the New Testament. And you notice in, in Isaiah 43, although this was written by the prophet Isaiah specifically to the Jewish people, it's certainly appropriate for us today. And it's, we're not stretching it when we, when we read it and apply it to ourselves. I want you to read Isaiah 43, verses 1 to th what I would say 3a, the very first part. He's, Isaiah says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, created thee, O Israel. Well, he's created us. And he that formed thee, if you know about the Bible, talks about how God forms us in the womb. Formed thee, O Israel. All right, now this is for us. Even though it was written specifically for Israel, spiritually, we're Israel. We're, we're God's children. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee my name and thou art mine. If we're here tonight and we know Christ as Savior, that's for us. Fear not, I've redeemed thee. I have called thee by name and thou art mine. You know what? It's, it's very personal, isn't it? Called thee by name. Think of that. We call someone by name. It's a, it's a personal relationship, not, hey, you, come over here personal. And it speaks about that, and that's certainly true of us today. But notice in verse 2, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. And neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord God, thy Holy One of Israel thy Savior. You know what? That's true for us tonight. Every one of us here, there's no doubt about it. If you're a believer, Isaiah 41, 43, 1, 2, and part of 3 is for us tonight. And so you see that there. You see, so you can focus on the fact that certainly the Lord was present, but look, folks, the Lord's with us. He's with us. He's certainly with us here, but he's with us when we go home. He's with us in beds of illness and sickness and such. A, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, the, the Lord is, is, is no doubt, the Lord is with us. So, so here we see him in, in, in this portion here. Uh, we, we see how the Lord uh, was with those men in that, in, in that fiery furnace. Notice um, in verse 26, 
It says here, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst, midst of the fire. And notice in verse 27, the Bible says, there was no effect of the furnace upon these young men. Look at that. And the princes and the governors and the captains and the king's uh, counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose body, notice, the fire had no power. It wasn't like they were maimed or whatever as tip, would be typical of fire. No. Who, the fire had no power on their bodies. Um, and their hair was not singed. Well, you certainly would have expected that, wouldn't you? Neither were their coats changed. Now look at this one. Even to the smell of smoke, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. They didn't smell like they'd been around fire. And of course, in, when here, we weren't here when they had this fire, but certainly whenever you have a fire, uh, there's always the smell of smoke in there. Well, I'll never forget our condiment, not our unit, but the condominium right across the hall from us, the, the gas stove blew up. We were home. My wife and I were home. And we, I, somehow I didn't hear it. But other people saw the smoke come out of the building. And um, when, the, when the police got the call, they came through the building and knocked on the door and, and, and got, us, got us out of there. And by God's grace, our, our building was saved. You know, with, with a fire... Uh, you'd get a lot of damage with water. And so the fire was on the other side of the hall, and on our side, this, we, they had 10 or 12 trucks there. The snorkel truck was up, and he, was, had it, he had the hose ready for our building. And it got over halfway to the, there, and it stopped, believe it or not. And they didn't have to touch our unit with water or anything. And after that, they fought the fire three or four or five hours, and they inspected the building and all, but that night we were able to sleep in our own apartment. There was no damage, right? but we did have the smell of smoke. And that's, I'll tell you, after you've had a fire like that, that night, first night was a little disconcerting. It really was because you'd wake up in the middle of the night and you'd say, hope there's no fire. I mean, when you're smelling the smoke and realizing how bad it was. But there, these folks, I mean, smoke's, Natural. You have a fire. Natural. No smell of smoke on them. You notice that. Look at, look at verse 28. Notice Nebuchadnezzar's praise of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve or worship any god except their own god. Notice that. What a testimony. Isn't that wonderful? Look at it again. He says, he's, he praises the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he said, this God has sent his angel. Well, we believe that certainly that was the Lord Jesus Christ. The word angel just means messenger. And delivered his servants that trusted in him. And they've changed the king's word yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, look at verses, verse 29 and 30. Notice his action. 
Nebuchadnezzar makes a declaration in verse 29, and then he promotes the three young men. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there's no other God that can deliver out of this sword. What a testimony. You know what? Their words, Shadrach, Meshach, their words to Nebuchadnezzar and say, you know, our, our God, talking about all that he could do, would nowhere near be as powerful as their example, as their testimony. You know what? God wants us to witness and to testify and, and our life. Our, those are important, but you know what's even can be more powerful is our life and the way we live and our stand for the Lord. That can be more, even more powerful than our words. And you see that here in verse 29. Then in verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the pro, pro, me, province of Babylon. You know, what a wonderful story. And uh, it's not just a story, it's history in, in the book of Daniel. Turn with me, we're going to close just with this one verse. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. If I could sum up this portion of Scripture, and it's a familiar portion, but you know what? It doesn't hurt us to read and remind ourselves of familiar portions. It's, it's, it's good, be, and, and they're not only familiar, they're, they're true. Notice the Apostle Paul. Now, he's been arrested for the faith. Possibility of his dying. He didn't die at this imprisonment. He knew that it was possible, but he didn't think it would it would happen at this time. That was kind of what he didn't he didn't think that, but it was possible. But notice what he says in Philippians 1:20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. In other words, he won't be ashamed of the Lord, and the Lord won't be ashamed of him but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not important. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. What's important is Christ. And he said, I want Christ, whether I live or I, whether I die, I want when people see me, I want them to see Christ. And I want Christ to be magnified. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wanted their God to be magnified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together this evening. And Lord, help us. Help us to have that desire to magnify and to glorify and to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.